0: Book one Chapter sixteen of the Blue Lagoon This Librivox recording is in the public domain, read by Adrian Pretzellus. The Blue Lagoon by H. DeVere Stackpool. Part three. Chapter sixteen. The Poetry of Learning To forget the passage of time you must live in the open air, in a warm climate with as few clothes as possible upon you. You must collect and cook your own food. Then, after a while, if you have no special ties to bind you to civilization, nature will begin to do for you what she does for the savage. You will recognise that it is possible to be happy without books or newspapers, letters or bills. You will recognise the part sleep plays in nature after a month on the island you might have seen dick at one moment full of life and activity helping mr button to dig up a taro root or what not the next curled up to sleep like a dog emmeline the same profound and prolonged lapses into sleep sudden awakenings into a world of pure air and dazzling light the gaiety of colour all around Nature had indeed opened her doors to these children. One might have fancied her in an experimental mood, saying, Let me put these buds of civilization back into my nursery, and see what they will become, how they will blossom, and what will be the end of it all. Just as Emmeline had brought away her treasured box from the Northumberland, Dick had conveyed with him a small linen bag that chinked when shaken. It contained marbles—small olive-green marbles and middle-sized ones of various colours, glass marbles with splendid coloured cores, and one old grandfather marble too big to be played with, but none the less to be worshipped—a god-marble. Of course one cannot play at marbles on board ship, but one can play with them. They had been a great comfort to Dick on the voyage. He knew them each personally, and he would roll them out on the mattress of his bunk, and review them nearly every day whilst Emmeline looked on. One day Mr Button, noticing Dick and the girl kneeling opposite each other on a flat, hard piece of sand near the water's edge strolled up to see what they were doing. They were playing marbles. He stood with his hands in his pockets and his pipe in his mouth, watching and criticising the game, pleased that the children were amused. Then he began to be amused himself, and in a few minutes more he was down on his knees taking a hand. Emmeline, a poor player and an unenthusiastic one, withdrawing in his favour. After that it was a common thing to see them playing together, the old sailor on his knees, one eye shut, and a marble against the nail of his horny thumb taking aim, Dick and Emmeline on the watch to make sure he was playing fair, their shrill voices echoing amidst the cocoa-nut trees with cries of, "'Knuckle down, Paddy! Knuckle down!' He entered into all their amusements just as one of themselves. On high and rare occasions Emmeline would open her precious box, spread its contents, and give a tea-party—Mr. Button acting as guest or president, as the case might be. "'Is your tea here like ma'am?' he would inquire, and Emmeline, sipping at her tiny cup, would invariably make answer, "'Another lump of sugar, if you please, Mr. Button?' To which would come the stereotyped reply, "'Take a dozen and welcome, and another cup.' for the good of your make." Then Emmeline would wash the things in imaginary water, replace them in the box, and everyone would lose their company manners and become quite natural again. "'Have you ever seen your name, Paddy?' asked Dick one morning. "'Seen me which?' "'Your name?' "'Ah! Don't be asking me questions,' replied the other. "'How the devil could I see me name?' "'Wait! And I'll show you," replied Dick. He ran and fetched a piece of cane, and a minute later, on the salt white sand, in the face of orthography and the sun, appeared these portentous letters: B U T T E N, Button. Faith, and it's a clever boy you are," said Mister Button admiringly as he leaned luxuriantly against a coconut tree and contemplated Dick's handiwork. And that's me name, is it? What's the letters in it?" Dick enumerated them. "'I'll teach you to do it, too,' he said. "'I'll teach you to write your name, Paddy. Would you like to write your name, Paddy?' "'No,' replied the other, who only wanted to be let smoke his pipe in peace. "'Me name's no use to me.' But Dick, with the terrible gadfly tirelessness of childhood, was not to be put off and the unfortunate Mr Button had to go to school, despite himself. In a few days he could achieve the act of drawing upon the sand characters somewhat like the above, but not without prompting—Dick and Emmeline on each side of him, breathless for fear of a mistake. "'Which next?' would ask the sweating scribe, the perspiration pouring from his forehead. "'Which next? And be quick! for it's mothered, i am en n. that's right oh you're making it crooked that's right there it's all there now hurroo hurroo would answer the scholar waving his old hat over his own name and hurroo would answer the coconut grove echoes whilst the far faint of the wheeling gulls on the reef would come over the blue lagoon as if in acknowledgment of the deed and encouragement the appetite comes with teaching the pleasantest mental exercise of childhood is the instruction of one's elders even emmeline felt this she took the geography class one day in a timid manner putting her little hand first in the great horny fist of her friend "'Mr. Button?' "'Well, honey, I know geography.' "'And what's that?' asked Mr. Button. This stumped Emmeline for a moment. "'It's where places are,' she said at last. "'Which places?' inquired he. "'All sorts of places,' replied Emmeline. "'Mr. Button? What is it, darling? Would you like to learn geography?' "'I'm not wishful for larnin,' said the other hurriedly. "'It makes me head buzz to hear them things they read out of books.' "'Paddy,' said Dick, who was strong on drawing that afternoon, "'look here.' He drew the following on the sand. Here follows an illustration—a bad drawing of an elephant. "'That's an elephant,' he said in a dubious voice mr button grunted and the sound was by no means filled with enthusiastic assent a chill fell on the proceedings dick wiped the elephant slowly and regretfully out whilst emmeline felt disheartened then her face suddenly cleared the seraphic smile came onto it for a moment a bright idea had struck her dicky she said draw henry the eighth dick's face brightened he cleared the sand and drew the following figure here follows a series of vertical horizontal and oblique lines resembling somewhat henry the eighth that's not henry the eighth he explained but he will be in a minute daddy showed me how to draw him he's nothing till he gets his hat on put his hat on put his hat on implored Emmeline, gazing alternately from the figure on the sand to Mr Button's face, watching for the delighted smile with which she was sure the old man would greet the great king when he appeared in all his glory. Then Dick, with a single stroke of the cane, put Henry's hat on. Here follows a series of vertical, horizontal, and oblique lines, with a double line vertical for Henry's hat now no portrait could be liker to his monk-hunting majesty than the above created with one stroke of the cane so to speak yet mr Button remained unmoved i did it for mrs simms said dick regretfully and she said it was the image of him maybe the hat's not big enough said emmeline turning her head from side to side as she gazed at the picture it looked right but she felt there must be something wrong as mr button did not applaud has not every true artist felt the same before the silence of some critic mr button tapped the ashes out of his pipe and rose to stretch himself and the class rose and trooped down to the lagoon edge leaving henry in his hat a figure on the sand to be obliterated by the wind After a while, as time went on,